Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 725 for the 8th of January, 2021. This week, if you're thinking about buying a new computer in 2021, it is important to think about what's inside the computer and about what you need the computer to do. In short circuits, COVID-19 vaccines are available now, but will be in short supply for the foreseeable future. If you receive a message that promises faster access for a fee, it is a fraud. Some Windows 10 computers repeatedly ask the user to log in to Microsoft 365. There are ways to work around the issue, but they involve disabling features that you may consider to be essential. In spare parts, only on the website, say what you will about Microsoft, but the company earns high marks from its employees for diversity. Google's new Chromecast device finally comes with a remote control. And 20 years ago, Corel tried to port its applications to Mac computers, and to call that effort an utter disaster would be needlessly kind. If you worked from home for much of 2020, find that you're still doing that this year, and your employer provides a computer, you're lucky. But maybe you have to use your own computer, and now it seems absurdly slow. Likewise for your children who might be learning from home. So maybe it's time to replace that old computer. The first and most obvious question is whether to buy a Windows computer or a Mac OS computer, even though there are other options such as Chromebooks and Linux, but most people will choose either Windows or Mac OS. Because of the way Apple designs its computers, you'll have limited choices. There's just one manufacturer and not a lot of models. So you're limited to various MacBooks, a couple of desktop all-in-one models, the behemoth Mac Pro, and the tiny Mac Mini. Each of those has only a few options in terms of processors, memory, disk, and screen. Only the Mac Pro, which starts at $6,000, offers a relatively wide variety of options. If you max out the processor to a 2.5 GHz 28-core Intel Xeon W processor with Turbo Boost up to 4.4 GHz, 1.5 TB of DDR4 ECC memory, a graphics subsystem with two Radon Pro Vega 2 Duos that each have 2 times 32 gigabytes of HBM2 memory, and an 8 terabyte solid state drive, your bank account will shrink by about $52,000. Oh, and you'll need a couple of monitors to go with that. Of course, there are much more modest configurations, and most people who need a Mac Pro will be satisfied with one in the ten dollars to $12,000 range. These are special machines for special purposes. Windows computer buyers have many more choices to make, so that's where we'll spend most of our time today. 
There are dozens of manufacturers, and if you include independent shops that still build desktop systems, there may be thousands. And I'm going to make one overarching assumption at the beginning here. You'll be looking for a notebook computer. If you limit the choice to just notebook computers, there are still dozens of manufacturers. But it's best to limit the search to just the larger companies, Acer, Dell, Hewlett-Packard, Lenovo, Microsoft, and Toshiba. All of those companies make a wide variety of computers, and no company is inherently better than any of the others. Each makes powerful high-end computers, and most also manufacture limited low-end computers. That's why it's important to look beyond the brand name. Think first about the type of processor you'll need. The two primary choices here are Intel and AMD. The CPU is responsible for most of the work the computer does, so take some time to learn about the various options. Both AMD and Intel make high-quality CPUs. The primary points to consider are clock speed and the number of cores. Low-priced processors will be slower and with fewer cores, and the best-performing CPUs will have a high number of cores, high clock rates, and correspondingly high prices. At the top of the heap, you'll find AMD's Ryzen 5 processors and Intel's Core i7 and Core i9 devices. If the tasks you perform need the fastest possible processing and you can justify the expense, that may be what you need. Many people will be satisfied with one of the mid-range processors, such as Intel's Core i5 and maybe even a Core i3, or AMD's Ryzen 3. A computer that uses one of these processors will be slower than one with a top-of-the-line processor, but if your primary uses are word processing, email, web browsing, and modest spreadsheets, you'll save a lot of money and see little difference. Low-end processors such as AMD's Athlon and Intel's Celeron are generally best avoided unless you're on a very strict budget or have limited needs. You'll have choices for clock speeds and the number of cores in each general group of processors. Speed is measured in megahertz and faster numbers are better. Whatever the speed is, you may see a reference to precision boost on AMD processors or turbo boost on those made by Intel. These processors monitor the load put on them by all running applications and can temporarily increase their speed. This is done by what's called overclocking, the process of making the processor run faster than it was designed to run, and it'll make the processor run hotter. Heat is the enemy of all electronic components and should be avoided. So if you need a faster processor, buy a faster processor. Each core in a CPU appears as a separate processor, and processors are typically able to handle two threads on each core. A four-core processor with two threads will act like a computer with eight processors. More cores will provide faster operation, and sometimes a CPU with more cores but a lower clock rate can perform better than one with a higher clock rate and fewer cores. Next, consider the kind of graphics card you want. The choices are much more limited in notebook computers than in desktop systems, but notebook systems do have some options. Virtually all desktop and notebook computers include integrated graphics on the motherboard. That means the computer can be used without a dedicated graphics processing unit, or GPU. 
Integrated graphics systems are less capable than a true GPU, and they generally use some of the computer's RAM. But the integrated systems are generally sufficient for viewing even 4K videos and some photo editing. Those who do a lot of photo editing or video editing will want a true GPU because it'll substantially improve the performance of the photo and video applications. A huge number of options are available for desktop systems, but notebook computer buyers will usually have a choice of only a few GPUs made either by NVIDIA or AMD. If graphics are of supreme importance to you, consider buying a gaming computer because it will come with a powerful and fast GPU. Just because the manufacturer calls it a gaming computer doesn't mean that you have to play games with it. Next, check out the memory options. More memory is generally better. But if you follow my earlier tongue-in-cheek description of a maxed-out Mac Pro with 1.5 terabytes of RAM, you will be wasting several thousand dollars. Take a look at the specifications for the applications you'll use most often. Software manufacturers sometimes list minimum acceptable memory and recommended memory. Use the recommended option and think about how many applications you'll have open simultaneously. To get a good picture of how much memory you'll need, launch the programs that you use most often, and open the task manager to see how much memory those applications use. Sum all the values in the memory column and add a little bit for background processes shown below the applications list and the Windows processes shown at the bottom of the list. This will provide an approximation of the amount of memory your processes require. So if the applications you usually run consume 24 gigabytes, installing 32 gigabytes of RAM is reasonable, but 64 gigabytes of RAM is probably overkill, and 128 gigabytes would definitely be a waste of money. Then consider the storage options, mechanical and solid state, internal and external drives. Unless you're dealing with severe budgetary restrictions, don't even think about choosing a computer with a mechanical hard drive. A 500-gigabyte solid-state drive is usually sufficient for Windows and the applications. Data storage may be limited, though. Because large SSDs are still expensive, choosing a modest SSD boot drive and adding one or more external mechanical drives is often a good compromise. Then determine whether you need an optical drive or not, and if so, whether it should be built in. Few people need a built-in optical drive these days because software is no longer distributed on physical media. But if you have CDs and DVDs that you still need to get data from, an external USB optical drive is a good choice for a notebook computer. For desktop systems, installing an optical drive will usually cost less. The notebook computer will have a built-in screen, but most people will find it easier to work with an external monitor, or maybe two. There may be someone who, after using a large external monitor, wants to go back to the small built-in monitor. I have trouble visualizing such a person. This is also true for people who have used a computer with two or more monitors. Going back to one just seems like a step in the wrong direction. So, make sure the computer has at least one HDMI or DisplayPort port, and it's better if there are two. And speaking of ports, how many and what kind of ports should the computer have? A few weeks ago, I described the need for a USB hub or a dock if the computer doesn't have enough. USB 2 and USB 3 ports are common, but you'll have more flexibility for future expansion 
if the computer has a Thunderbolt 3 port. That's because it can be used to add a dock that offers a variety of USB 2, USB 3, DisplayPort, and Ethernet connections. Fortunately, all but bargain basement systems have Thunderbolt 3 these days. It's hard to imagine a modern notebook computer that omits Wi-Fi, but it's important to check the specifications. Also, if you use the computer primarily at a desk, maybe you should have an Ethernet connection. If the computer doesn't have an Ethernet port, it's easy to add one with a USB 2 or USB 3 adapter, or by adding a dock that includes Ethernet. So there you have it, some of the considerations you need to think about if you're planning to buy a new computer in 2021. And happy computing! If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, now that vaccinations are available for COVID-19 and the politicians who claimed the pandemic was phony are elbowing their way to the front of the line, the scammers aren't very far behind. As the country begins to distribute COVID-19 vaccines, there's no doubt that scammers are already scheming. That's according to Medicare.gov. If you're old enough to qualify for Medicare, the cost of the vaccination is covered. Medicare also covers COVID-19 tests, COVID-19 antibody tests, and COVID-19 monoclonal antibody treatments. Whether you're eligible for Medicare or not, scammers are out there, and Medicare offers three suggestions that apply to everyone, regardless of your age. You can't pay to put your name on a list to get the vaccine. You can't pay to get early access to a vaccine. So don't share your personal or financial information if somebody calls, texts, or emails you promising access to the vaccine for a fee. The key points here are that the scammers want you to pay for something they cannot provide. The Medicare website says, be alert for scammers. Medicare covers the vaccine at no cost to you. So if anyone asks you to share your Medicare number or pay for access to the vaccine, you can bet it's a scam. The same is true if you're covered by the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, or by private insurance. You can't pay for early access. Some Windows 10 users have been complaining for several months about having to repeatedly enter their password in Outlook and other Microsoft 365 applications. Although Microsoft hasn't fixed the problem yet, they do now offer at least a workaround. The problem seems to be most prevalent on Hewlett-Packard systems that are running the HP Customer Participation Utility, and it began appearing as computers received the May Windows Update, version 2004. 
Microsoft outlines the answer on its support site, and you'll find a link to the Microsoft site on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week. If you have to repeatedly enter a password for Microsoft 365 applications, the workaround is relatively simple. Start by opening PowerShell as administrator. This can be accomplished by right-clicking the Start button and then choosing Windows PowerShell Admin. Then copy and paste the command you'll find on the TechBiter Worldwide website and run it by pressing Enter. If you haven't noticed the problem, PowerShell probably will return nothing. But write down the names or copy and paste the names into a text editor of any listed tasks that you find there. And before proceeding, note that Microsoft's workaround for this problem is to disable the offending tasks. So you'll need to decide whether any scheduled task is essential to your normal operations. If so, you'll need to continue entering a password for Microsoft 365 apps until Microsoft issues a real fix. The HP Customer Participation Utility, for example, is a group of applications that allow users to participate in market research. The market research is designed to improve HP products and for customers to report problems encountered on their HP computers. That allows the company to create patches to fix the problems, but it also displays what HP calls benefits, such as special offers. In other words, benefits to HP. So once you have a list of one or more applications that were returned by the PowerShell command, and you've decided that repeatedly entering the Microsoft 365 password is more of an annoyance than disabling the tasks would be, it's time to open the task scheduler. Now that's the task scheduler, not the task manager. The easiest way to do that is to press the start button and type schedule, then select task scheduler from the list. When the application opens, make sure the Task Scheduler Local is selected at the top of the left column, then scroll all the way down in the center column and examine the Active Tasks section. Look for the names of any of the tasks that are on the list that you created. Take care that you modify only tasks that exactly match those on your list, because modifying a scheduled task that's essential to your normal operations will make normal operations, well, less normal. When you locate one that you'd like to disable, double-click it. The task will then appear in the top section of the window. Right-click it there and choose Disable. After changing all of the tasks that were listed, restart the computer. Any Microsoft 365 application should ask for a password following the reboot, but then it should remember the password from that point forward. Be sure to keep your list of tasks, though, when Microsoft issues a patch that resolves the problem, you'll probably want to revisit the task scheduler and turn the disabled tasks back on. You won't need a password for spare parts. Just head over to the TechBiter Worldwide website, and this week you'll find these articles. Say what you will about Microsoft, but the company earns high marks from its employees for diversity. Google's new Chromecast device finally comes with a remote control, and 20 years ago, Corel tried to port its applications to Mac computers, and to call that effort an utter disaster would be needlessly kind. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website 
www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.